we're gonna we're gonna be in picking up where we left off. We're gonna be back in Proverbs chapter six, and, and if you have a Bible that we provide, it's gonna be on page five thirty one. Our our main text is gonna be there. And this morning, uh, as we as we continue along, I just want to do a recap, just briefly to remind you of what we talked about last time. Last time we looked at verses one through five in chapter six, which warned us against putting up security for someone else and thus making ourselves legally responsible for that person's debt. And we saw that such a foolish financial commitment, which again, in, in the eyes of God and in the wisdom of Proverbs, it's a foolish financial commitment. I mean, it can be easily made in a moment, just like that. You can, you can make that foolish choice, and it will almost certainly result in financial trouble for you and a host of other problems that will affect not only you but others as well. We talked about that. So that's why we were warned against this particular action. And this morning, as we look at the next section in, in Proverbs, we're going to look at 6 through 11, verses 6 through 11. We're going to be warned against a particular attitude, particular attitude, an attitude that is categorically condemned in the book of Proverbs and, and really elsewhere in Scripture. It's an attitude that is shown in Proverbs to be the height of stupidity. An attitude that is mocked and ridiculed more than anything else in the book of Proverbs. It's mocked and ridiculed. The attitude we'll be warned against is laziness. Laziness. In verses 6 or 11, Solomon he aims his words directly at the sluggard. The sluggard. This is the, the person who has succumbed to a lifestyle of laziness. The person who is characterized by laziness. He is the epitome of a lazy person. The sluggard. So let's read our, our text. Starting in verse 6. Go to the ants, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to the rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. So here's what we're going to do this morning. We're, we're not only going to consider this text, but we're, we're really going to branch out and look at the other passages in Proverbs that have to deal with this subject, this subject of laziness. We, we want to, I'm just going to take this as our opportunity to, to bring in the collective wisdom in Proverbs on this matter. So we're going to work through the passage, but also go elsewhere, so just as a heads up. But here in chapter 6, this is where we are first introduced to this character. We're first introduced to the sluggard, the lazy person, and this is the person who refuses to work. It's not that they can't, it's that they don't want to and they refuse to work. The sluggard, you ever, do you know what a slug is? See those little critters? Uh, are they, do they seem inactive, slow, right? Okay, so you kind of get the idea, sluggishness. So when we're talking about the sluggard, this is the person who's characterized by slowness or inactivity because of his unwillingness to exert himself. Effort's never something he wants to do. He never wants to put effort forth, even when it comes to meeting his own basic needs. Solomon makes this point clear with the following statements. Let's take a look at him. Proverbs 12, 27. Whoever is slothful will not roast his game. 
Any of you go hunting? Any hunters in here? Maybe not. I know we have gardeners. I guess it's California, so I guess I, what did I expect? But he, you know, he doesn't want to cook his own food. That's too much work. Proverbs 19.24, the, the sluggard buries his hand in the dish and will not even bring it back to his mouth. Why, do you ask? Proverbs 26.15, the sluggard buries his hand in the dish it wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. To the sluggard, preparing a meal for himself and even feeding himself. It's work. Work that he'd rather not do. This doesn't mean that he'll never eat. Again, this is kind of like, it's kind of a caricature, right? I mean, that's not realistic. It's not that he, he will never eat, but it does mean that he is willing, he is willing to eat less. And he's willing to eat less often if that means less work for him. In fact, he would rather wait around for someone else to feed him rather than feed himself. That's the sluggard. And the big idea here is, when we look at those verses, is that the sluggard's desire to not work is greater than his desire for food or really anything else. That is his, I mean, if he had a number one priority, it's to not work. That is my greatest desire, my greatest ambition in life. Not working is his priority. One commentator puts it this way. Need. Need does not motivate a sluggard. For even the most pressing and selfish need is insufficient to motivate a sluggard to work. Now you all might think, okay, uh, some people, well, they don't work unless they have to. They do the bare minimum, right? And we're, we're thinking unless they have to, well, they got to eat, you know, they got to provide a, you know, at least have a place to live and stuff, but there are people who are willing to, again, go without because they have such an aversion to work. Now, because the sluggard desires to avoid work at all costs, even at the expense of meeting his own basic needs, Proverbs holds him up as a model of sheer stupidity. Sheer stupidity. Not only that, but Proverbs also holds him up as a model of wickedness. Even the Lord Jesus, in one of his parables, one of the characters, was a slothful servant. The one who didn't do anything with his master's money. And he referred to the slothful servant as worthless and wicked. And there are two main reasons, I would say, why lazy people are seen as wicked in God's eyes. That sounds extreme, but it's wickedness. And here's why. First one... They're a detriment to society. They're a detriment to society. They, they slow and even disrupt progress and productivity. They consume, but they don't contribute. Their gross negligence creates problems not only for themselves, but for other people, and even would cause them harm because of their laziness and their negligence. Proverbs 10.26 says, Like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is the sluggard to those who send him. Vinegar, most likely wine vinegar here, uh, is sour and acidic. Uh, it can be enjoyed or at least tolerated as a drink if it's diluted, right? But in its undiluted form, it would be absolutely far from pleasant. Especially in a time when people didn't have advantages of modern dentistry. Think about that. Getting this on your teeth, that would be really irritating and really painful. And the same is true. You ever got smoke in your eyes? 
Enjoy a nice little campfire. I love the campfire and stuff. And all of a sudden the wind just wafts it in your eyes. It's like, oh. What happens? Is it enjoyable? Do you say, oh, where are you going to sit? Everybody sits around the campfire. You know, you do a little circle and everything. You're like, oh, the spot where the smoke's blowing. There's my chair. You sit right here. It makes it miserable, right? That's the effect the sluggard has on people who entrust him to do things. This is the effect he has on other people who are counting on him to fulfill his responsibilities in some way. Or they're even paying him to carry out certain tasks. Remember a while back, Jeremy was giving this example of just how some people just assume that uh, they should get paid just because they showed up for work. I showed up for work. You paid me. You know, it's, it's, it's this assumed uh, right. You are obligated to just give me because I'm here. Not because I'm working, but I'm your employee, so there. Um, so that's this sluggard's effect on people. He's not reliable, he's not dependable, and his negligence actually hinders progress, productivity, and even actually causes, can cause damage. One commentator sums it up this way, the sluggard has no moral sense of responsibility to others. In other words, he doesn't care how his laziness affects others. An example of this is seen in Proverbs 10, verse 5. He who gathers in summer is a prudent son. It's a wise son, a good son. But he who sleeps and harvest is a son who brings shame. You know, the whole, whole family, and we have to think about the society at this time, or the culture, you know, it's an agrarian society, so farming was essential to life, and the whole family was dependent upon the produce of their crops. Everyone needed to contribute, right? Pull their weights. It's harvest season. Not just for their own sake did they need to contribute, but also for the sake of their family as well. Yet, the lazy son sleeps when it's time to work. His laziness creates more of a, a burden for the rest of the family. And he cares only about himself, yet he expects his family to care for him. Solomon says in Proverbs 18.9, Whoever is slack in his work is a brother to him who destroys in other words, laziness is destructive. Slacking off, avoiding work, and, and neglecting your responsibilities, it is detrimental to society. It's detrimental to others. It is wasteful. It is destructive. That is why it's wicked. But let me give you a second reason why lazy people are seen as wicked in God's eyes. Number two, they, they rebel against God's purpose for mankind. It's rebellion against God's purpose for man. Work... Newsflash, and I don't know if you know this, but you know, if you, if you just kind of just start at Genesis 1, start reading your Bible, you realize that work's not a result of the fall. Work is not a consequence of sin. Sure, one of the effects of sin is that our work has become, more, it's become frustrating and painful. But work itself is something that God created us to do from the beginning. So we'll take a look at that. When God created the first man, when he created Adam, he immediately put him to work. He didn't create him and say, look, a man's here, and go about and enjoy yourself. Frolic. Enjoy my creation. Look what I've done. This is great. No, he created man for a purpose, and he put him to work. Genesis 2, verse 15, it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden, just to relax and sip on tea. And so, oh, wait, wait. Okay, no, it doesn't say that. To, he put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Moving forward to verse 19, 
Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was his name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. He was a busy guy right off the bat. God then created the first woman, Eve, not simply to be his loving companion. He's your play buddy. You know, that's why you guys go play. It, not just to be his companion. A companion, yes, absolutely. I would say primarily. It's not good for man to be alone. He created the woman. But to be his helper. I will make a helper suitable, a helper compatible for the man. Helper in what? In the work God had created him to do. God said to both of them then, in Genesis 1.28, which is kind of like the big overview of the creation week. When he has the, the man and the woman, he says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Let's bring it under control and have dominion over it. Rule over. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. There's work to do. Doing work is one way mankind reflects the likeness of God. Man was created in the image and likeness of God. Don't you realize that work is part of that image and likeness? Because God himself works. Sin, however, mars the likeness of God in man. It mars it. And it, it corrupts man's heart so that he desires what's contrary to God. What's contrary to God's character. What's contrary to God's purposes. That's what sin does. And so the sluggard who is dominated by the sin of laziness, he defies what our creator is designed to do. It's rebellion. By despising work, he's ultimately showing contempt for God and rebelling against God's authority, God's mandate, God's calling, God's purpose and design, God's wisdom. So the sluggard not only demonstrates contempt for God's mandate for him to work, but here's what he also does. He has an overflated sense of self-importance, arrogance and pride. The sluggard thinks that work is beneath him, right? I mean, why, would, why wouldn't he work, right? He doesn't want to work. I don't see any value in that. Or at least I'm more important. I'm above that. He thinks that avoiding work actually makes him wise. Makes me wise to avoid work. Proverbs 26.12 says this, do you see a man who's wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than for him. Skip ahead just a little bit. Verse 16. The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. What do you think it's saying? What a fool. And there's more hope for a fool than for him. And seven times that. He is convinced that he is wise. He is absolutely arrogant. He thinks that, hey, you who work diligently, you who work productively, you're the fools in the sluggard's eyes. He thinks that he is enjoying life more than you because he does not burden himself with work. In his mind, he's, he's free, unlike you, because he doesn't work for someone else and he can do as he pleases. See, he's wise in his eyes. You're largest slaves to the system, man. You gotta, you gotta liberate yourselves. I'm living life. 
you know, not even a group of sensible people can persuade him that his perspective and reasoning are completely bogus, completely moronic. Now let's look back at our passage in chapter 6. Here's what Solomon says to the sluggard who is wiser in his own eyes than seven sensible men. Go to the ant, the sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Actually, he says, become wise. Solomon's saying that this tiny insect has more wisdom than the sluggard. This tiny little insect. It's got more wisdom than him. He tells the sluggard, go find an ant and watch it work so that you can learn from its example and actually become wise. One commentator says this, the contrast is humiliating. A person over five feet tall and weighing 130 pounds or more is told to let an ant be a teacher. An ant less than a quarter of an inch long, weighing a slight fraction of an ounce. A person with gifts of speech, with a brain the size of a whole anthill, is told to bend over, peer down, and learn from the lowly ant. I mean, Proverbs mocks laziness. You sluggard. Go to this little insect and learn something. Genius. What is there to learn from the ants? Well, these tiny creatures thrive not because they're mighty in strength. And again, I know proportionately to their, their body size and all that stuff. Yes, you can talk about that. But come on, you, you accidentally kill them by stepping on them. You don't even notice them. Like, oh, my, oh, whatever. They thrive because of their work ethic. They work willingly and diligently. They're actually an incredible speed. I mean, you just look up stuff about ants. It's kind of, it's kind of fascinating. I kind of nerded out just for a little bit. Like, but I use a little straight. Whoa, I didn't know that. But man, an insect that does well in the world, all over the world, thrives. Why? It's willingness to work, and it's willingness to work diligently, cooperatively. Verses six, or chapter six, verse seven and eight. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler. She prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. So unlike the sluggard, ants do not have to be forced to work. I mean, how do you get a sluggard to work? Man, I'm, I'm going to work. And it's like, we're going to make you work now. That's the only way you can get them to work. And even then it's hard. But ants, they don't have to be forced to work. They don't even need some sort of manager or supervisor to ensure that uh, they're being productive and working efficiently and completing their tasks. They take initiative, and they do all of that on their own, instinctively. It's natural. There's, there's wisdom just built into them. You know, if your boss commends you for your, your hard work, hey, good job today. You're just doing really well. I mean, putting forth a great effort. You can just honestly say, sir, I'm just doing what any old ant would do. I really, I'm just doing the bare minimum, just what a little ant would do, this little insect. Tiny little insect, that's all I'm doing. Also, what can we learn from the ant? Well, they plan ahead. They work diligently. They also plan ahead and work ahead. When they gather food during the harvest season, they're not only gathering enough to just meet their present needs and get by, they're also gathering enough to get them through the winter season. And again, if some of you know facts about ants and all that stuff, here's the deal. Ants in that region, these Palestinian ants, different species or whatever, they were known to actually, these particular species were known to actually gather grains and store them up for the whole winter season. So when you see them along, they're yo wee yo yo you know, they're not just like, not for lunch today. 
Let me go out later when I'm hungry for dinner. No, they are on a mission, right? We got the entire winter to get through. We got to store up the storehouses, right? That's what they're doing. They're seizing the opportunity to work in times of plenty so that they will not lack what they need in times of scarcity. Do you see the wisdom there? And this tiny little insect. So much we can learn from that. There's actually much, really, much the sluggard can learn, and that's why Solomon is telling him, go, go to the ant. You'll actually get some wisdom. And really, it would be good for us, to just, for us too, to just simply remember the ant. Remember the ant. Oh, yeah. I should pick it up a little bit. When we find ourselves struggling with laziness, you know, just picture that. Little ant. You know, work ethic, diligence, work ahead, work hard. Now, verse 9 in chapter 6. Solomon says, How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you rise from your sleep? So, you know, in this passage, you can just picture this. This isn't just, you know, we're sitting down having a chat. Go to the ant sluggard. You know, Solomon's walking by. It's probably during the harvest season and everything. He's, he's, what, what's this guy doing? He's sleeping. Go to the ant. Wake up. How long are you going to lie there? When are you going to get up? Well, guess what? The sluggard's favorite pastime is sleeping. It's his favorite pastime. And for obvious reasons, uh, it requires no physical work. Nor does it require any mental work. I mean, man, I'm like, oh, I don't want to think. I'm sleep. Then I'll dream, and I'm like not even intentionally thinking. My body's just like, you know, my brain's just going on or whatever, but it doesn't require any mental effort on my part. Now, don't get me wrong. Okay, sleep, we all get it. It's a good thing, right? It's a necessary thing? Yes? Okay. So we're agreed. Our bodies and our minds, they need rest. And again, you know, they're, particularly in our culture, yeah, there could be a tendency to be a workaholic. Just, I mean, overwork, and you don't really get the rest you need, and you just kind of collapse. Well, it's because you're being foolish on the other end. You're, you're not getting the rest you need. So our bodies need rest. Our minds need rest, or they'll shut down on us. Yeah, we get that. It's essential. We need regular sleep in order to be recharged for more work. However, the lazy person sleeps in order to avoid work. Just resting, man. I'll just... I just need to get a little rest for work. Uh, you know, it's like, no, he, he already slept like probably 10 hours and now he's taking a three-hour nap a couple hours after because he just ate breakfast, which somebody else gave to him. He's sleeping in order to avoid work. And that's what's being pictured here. It's, it's Solomon coming up to the sluggard who's sleeping during the day while everyone else is working. It's during the harvest season. Produce needs to be gathered in. Food needs to be prepared and stored up. And this able-bodied man is just lying around and sleeping. What Solomon says in verse 10 indicates that the sluggard responded with the excuse that he was just taking a little nap. You know, a little sleep. A little, hey, man, I'm just, I'm just folding my hands for a little bit. Just, just rest my eyes. Just rest my eyes. Seriously. However, the truth is that he's not resting from work, but resting in order to avoid work. One commentator says this. Sleep is the defining characteristic of the sluggard. For him, the love of sleep is pure escapism. A, a refusal to face the world. So in, in Proverbs 26, verse 14, Solomon says, As a door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard on his bed. Like a door, you know, he might show some movement, right? He might roll around on his on his bed, but he's, he's not going to go anywhere. He's hinged to it. He's not going to go anywhere. He's not going to get up and go do work. 
It's not going to get up. And by the way, let's just think about this. In addition to sleep, there are other forms of escapism that the sluggard may indulge in. Let's just come up with one example. Watching television. <laughs> Watching television, especially in these days, endless entertainment. I have Netflix, <laughs> online streaming, no commercials. I can watch season after season. Aha! <laughs> what am I doing? Am I being productive? Am I getting anything done? What do we say I mean, when you do that? You're like, I'm vegging out. I'm as good as a carrot right now. I'm just sitting here. I'm not even mentally applying myself. I'm not even thinking. I'm being entertained, watching, entertainment. I try to come up my, with my own proverb regarding this situation. As a potato is fixed in the ground, so the sluggard is on his couch. Not bad, huh? So we've got we to gotta think about this, though. There's a danger here. Just like sleep, something that is a good thing can become an ultimate thing and ultimately an idol, something that we, in a sense, worship. And, and so even with something like tele watching television, something like leisure or really entertainment, there, there's really a plague of entertainment, if you think about it, in our culture. Because we have so much of it. There's an overabundance. We can, there will never be a time when we, we can't get it. Whether it's on your phone or computer or, or television or anything like that, it's just... I can, just, I can just veg out, and it could be endless. There's no end to it. It's not, the broadcast is over for today. Or whatever they did in the old days. Um, I don't know. I'm product of my time. I'm sorry. I did not mean to offend those of you who remember that. Those, you could really say those are the old, good old days, right? Because they cut them off and stuff like, go to sleep. Go to sleep. Stop watching TV. So... We have a danger there. This, and here's another thing, too. Is, isn't, let me just ask you, is entertainment kind of, a, can it be addicting? Can you say, well, I have, like, the entire five seasons of one show. This is a really great show. I'm just going to watch one episode, put it down, walk away. i got work to do and stuff. Is that, you know, sometimes you're like, well, just one more. Just one more. Just one more. So again, what's happening? And again, this might not even be intentional. You're like, I'm rebelling against God's purpose for me. I hate work. But you just slip into it. You see how deceptive laziness is, and then it just kind of claw, gets its claws in you, and then yanks you down and kind of makes, turns you into that potato. With that door on a hinge. Next thing you know, you're hinged to your couch. All right, so... There is that proverb that said, as a door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard on his bed. And the, the verse right before that says this. The sluggard says, there's a lion in the road. There's a lion in the streets. And the point here is that the sluggard will he'll muster up any lame excuse to not work when he is awake. So they'll, he'll have a reason in his own eyes to go back to sleep and escape reality. Really? There's a, there's a line in the room? Are you serious? It's bogus. This is a totally bogus excuse. But he'll do anything to avoid work. Uh, do you ever find yourself indulging in leisure, overindulging in it, and making lame excuses in order to avoid uh, working and fulfilling your responsibilities? Or maybe doing things that you know would be good for you, like, oh, I, should, I should do that sometime. You just think about it. It never happens. But we have excuses for it. Well, you know, I've got, I've got like this and stuff, and there's, you know, another season I've got to watch this one show. I'm being productive. Laziness will lead you to justify doing the bare minimum. 
Laziness will lead you to justify blowing off things that need to get done. Proverbs presents some logical consequences of laziness. The first one's this. Laziness results in destitution. It's utter poverty. Lack of money and possessions and even basic necessities like food, clothing, and shelter. That's what it leads to. Solomon warns the sluggard in chapter 6, verses 10 and 11, the closing of this little section. A little, yeah, okay, so again, it's implied that he gave this excuse, and he's like, yeah, okay, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of your hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. And the idea here is, is that poverty, it, it will sneak up on you, and you'll be helpless when it comes. It's going to sneak up on you. You keep making these excuses. You keep indulging this laziness. The lazy person, you know, he does not just throw away his money and possessions and sign up for poverty. It's not like they do that, like money, possessions, whatever. I want to be poor. Rather, his avoidance of work and neglect of his responsibilities will slowly but surely cause him to lose what he has. One commentator says this, in a sense... He robs himself by wasting away his time, talents, and earning power. Precious hours, important opportunities, and years of productivity are squandered because he lacks enthusiasm and initiative. With regard to the the sluggard being reduced to poverty, uh, one commentator makes this helpful distinction. He, the sluggard, is never equated with the poor in the Bible. Uh, the poor who are so by virtue of circumstances beyond their control. The sluggard is poor by virtue of his moral ge- degeneracy. He is not worthy to be called poor. And again, we're talking about the sluggard, and like I said, this is like the epitome of the lazy person, where laziness will ultimately bring someone if it is the dominating sin in their lives. And do we have people that are reduced to poverty because they are sluggards? We call them bums. And there's a distinction. I'm not talking about that every person on this street, perhaps, is a sluggard. That's not the case. But there are a lot that are. They're reduced to that because they've done that to themselves. So we want to keep that distinction. You know, we read the Word of God. there's 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 no, like, compassion or whatever given to those who are sluggards and are reduced to poverty because of their sluggishness and their refusal to work. But there is compassion on the poor who by their circumstances have ended up there and we're called to help them, to give them aid, give them opportunities to work. And guess what? I'll tell you the difference between uh, a person who is poor, maybe they give an opportunity to work. The way you know a sluggard is if you give an opportunity to say, hey, I can help you get a job. And they're like, no, it's good. I'm good. I remember coming across one guy in the D.C. area, and I would, you know, I would, again, kind of like we all naively do, and, and sometimes we're just like, hey, okay, he's, he looks disheveled, and, and I'm going to help out. I'm going to get him lunch and stuff. And a guy came up, and he told me, like, don't give anything to this guy. I tried to give him a job, and he turned it down because he didn't want to work. He's a sluggard. We shouldn't enable that. But keep that distinction. So, so one logical consequence of where laziness leads is refusal, rebelling against all kind of effort and work and responsibility, is destitution, it's poverty, it's a loss. 
The second logical consequence then is this. It, it results in difficulty. Laziness is going to result in difficulty for you. Proverbs fifteen nineteen says, The way of a sluggard is like a hedge of thorns, but the path of the upright is a, a level highway. One seems very smooth and easy, and the other one kind of seems difficult, doesn't it? You know, back in ancient times, and honestly, even still today, uh, thorn hedges are used as barriers around people's property uh, to keep intruders out. Here, the sluggard's lazy habits have resulted in him being barricaded from making any real progress in life. His laziness has created that hedge of thorns. Just trying to get by is difficult and painful. Avoiding work and slacking off doesn't really free you up. Contrary to what they might say it does, like, I'm free, man. Well, it doesn't free you up. It actually, it restricts you and it holds you back and it brings tremendous difficulty in your life. But because the sluggard's wise in his eyes, they somehow try to explain that away and ignore that reality. A third logical consequence of laziness is this. It results in disappointment. Proverbs 13.4, the soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the dil- diligent is richly supplied. You know, if you, if you aren't willing to work and to meet your own needs, they won't be met. Isn't that profound? That's profound wisdom, right? If you're not willing to work to meet your own needs, they won't be met. If you aren't willing to work to satisfy your desires, they won't be satisfied. Another profound statement, really deep. If you aren't willing to work to achieve your goals, they won't be achieved. Proverbs 20, verse 4 says, The sluggard, he does not plow in the autumn, he will seek at harvest and have nothing. Shows you what sin does to you, reduces you to. Doesn't plow, doesn't plow in the autumn, and he comes to harvest like, oh, what? I was expecting something. He gets nothing. You reap what you sow, right? Basic biblical principle. He reap, or he sowed nothing, therefore he reaps nothing. And a fourth logical consequence is this, of laziness. It results in deterioration. Uh, in another work of Solomon's in Ecclesiastes, chapter 10, verse 18, he says this, through sloth, the roof sinks in, and through indolence, that's basically inactivity, through indolence, the house leaks. And in, back in Proverbs, Proverbs 19.15, it says, Slothfulness casts into a deep sleep, and an idle person will suffer hunger. You know, the sluggard's living conditions and his health will continue to deteriorate because his primary desire is to not work. And in Proverbs 21.25, it says, The desire of the sluggard kills him. For his hands refuse to labor. His laziness will essentially cause him to waste away and eventually bring about his own premature death. Needlessly, he'll bring that on himself. So, what Proverbs clearly shows us is that laziness, like all sin, it is clearly destructive. It's destructive. It's not just wasteful, it is destructive. We can't tolerate it then in our lives. Again, we're looking at the sluggard, we're looking at this extreme case, and we say, well, well I'm not a sluggard, man, I, you know, I work and stuff, or whatever, but we're talking about laziness that c- creates the sluggard, 
the sin that clings, that is, if it's not repented of, can become a dominating sin that can make you the sluggard. So we can't tolerate laziness. We need to guard against it, and really in every aspect of life. We need to discipline ourselves to work as God has called us to in every aspect of life. So we can all relate to this in some sense because we have all wrestled with laziness in some way, right? So for example, if you don't want, for those of you who are married, if you don't want your marriage to deteriorate and be fraught with difficulty and disappointment and eventually die, then you need to work at it as God has called you to. You need to cultivate and nurture that relationship. It's work. It's work. You see, it's not enough to conclude that you're, you're not a sluggard simply because you, you have a job and even provide for your family financially. I put bread on the table. I got a job. I work 40 hours a week. I ain't a sluggard. Well, you can still be grossly negligent, irresponsible and unfaithful in areas other than your employment, can't you? If you don't work diligently to, another example, to raise your children as God has called you to, disciplining them and instructing their hearts so that they might know and love the Lord and walk in his ways, then sin and folly, which are bound up in their hearts, will drive them deeper into corruption and stupidity. And your home and their lives will be fraught with difficulty, disappointment, disorder, and a complete lack of God's blessing. So you need to work as God has called you to at your parenting. So what about being a spiritual sluggard? We could talk about that. Maybe you do all those things. Maybe you work a hard, you know, work hard at your job, you provide, you actually know, hey, I've got to, I've got to work. Marriage takes work. Right? We do date nights, you know, we, we do the work, right? We put work into this relationship and parenting, it takes work, right? It's easier to sit on the couch like, stop doing that, you know? Oh, these kids, you know? We're, no, no, we, we're, we're on them, you know? We're, we're, we're taking opportunities to instruct them and teach them and discipline them just for their, for their own good. Maybe you do all that. Perhaps you do those things, um, but you're completely lazy when it comes to let's say, reading and studying and meditating on God's Word, completely negligent in these spiritual disciplines that are so essential to your life. You know, we could be disciplined and hardworking and diligent, even in hobbies, right? But then when it comes to... Okay. Yeah, I read... Uh, yeah, I, I, tried, I tried doing the three chapters. I can only do like three verses, and I was like, I'm done, man. I'm tired. Remember that thing about the sluggard burying his hand in the dish? How ridiculous it was that he couldn't even bring it back to his mouth? Are you completely lazy when it comes to feeding yourself on the Word of God? You know, we're called to let the Word of Christ dwell in us richly uh, and to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Uh, but that won't happen if we're lazy. It won't happen if we're lazy when it comes to growing in our knowledge of the Scriptures. It's not going to happen. The Lord Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Our daily bread. This is, this is as essential as food is for the body. This is for our soul. 
You know, if we're too uh, lazy to nourish our souls by feeding on God's word, then we will be spiritually malnourished. And our, our spiritual growth will be stunted. Our lives will be fraught with difficulty and disappointment as we unsuccessfully navigate through life due to our lack of spiritual discernment. Preach it, come on. Yeah. Preach it, I'm telling you. And we, talk, we, we, could, we could talk about this every week. And we know in our lives, we, do, you, do you see laziness in spiritual disciplines? We're reminded that we're called to pray continually. Devote ourselves to prayer. But if you perhaps get some godly wisdom from those who are diligent to do that, they'll tell you it takes work. I don't roll out, you know, wake up and just kind of, ah, oh, I just want to pray. No, you need to work at it. How many things are competing for your affections and your attention and, and, and you, you get that tunnel vision, you forget. Or you lose sight of your absolute dependence on the Lord for everything. And your need to just, and your, your privilege to just cast your burdens on him. Because he cares for you. Be on guard. We need to be on guard against laziness. In every aspect of our lives. And when you spot it, you need to stamp it out. Crush it. Kill it. Repent. Replace it with diligence. With work that is done from the heart because it's ultimately in service to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's in every area of life. You know, it's not good enough to say, don't be lazy, don't be lazy. It's like, well, work hard. I need to discipline myself. I need to do whatever it takes to plan, uh, you know, for whatever it is, whatever structure you need. Make every effort. Be hard working. And let's think about this. If we're called to walk in Jesus' steps, if we're called to, to walk as he walked, to follow his example, and even to imitate Paul, the Apostle Paul, as he imitates Christ, uh, are they lazy? Were they just kind of sleeping around like, you know, I did, you know, I did like, you know, my, my 20 hours a day. I'm kind of tired. I'm going to go like play golf now. Jesus didn't do that. You're like, what? He took naps, right? Yes, he did. You know when he took those naps? Once you read the, we read the context, we'll see what his day was like. You know, hundreds of people coming and just, you know, clinging to them. He just had to just, you know, he couldn't even get a moment. And then he finally did. He would take those opportunities to rest so that he could continue his work of ministry and mind you it's ex he was to the point of exhaustion how else can you take a nap on a boat in the middle of a, a violent storm he was hard working diligent he came not to be served but to serve and that he did and same with the apostle paul so again just even the godly examples that we have the example of our lord we're called to work in one commentary, I'll, I'll, I'll conclude with this. I like this statement. We guard against laziness. We repent of it when we see it. And, and we should replace that with hard work. And he says, hard work ought to be the normal routine of us who serve a carpenter Christ, who follow the lead of a tent maker apostle, and who call ourselves children of a father who is still working. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning and calling our attention to this one particular sin that is so subtle and yet so devastating in people's lives and in our lives, this, this sin of laziness. Help us to be vigilant, to be on our guard against it in, in every area of our lives, Lord. Starting with the, the most basic thing that you've really wired us to do, 
to work, to provide for ourselves, to provide for our, our households. But Lord, also to think through the implications of this wisdom, that it's, it's, it's diligence you've called us to in everything, that we would do everything from the heart as unto you. And Lord, we're reminded of our, our, our need for your word to feed upon it. We're reminded of our need to, to come to you and cast our burdens upon you and to, to seek you in prayer and through your word, Lord. And, and many times, time and time again, we're just pulled away from that. And it's really a spiritual laziness, Lord. Convict us of that. Help us not tolerate it. Help us to reflect the diligence and the, the labor uh, that your son gave us in, as an example, Lord. Lord Jesus, thank you for your example. Thank you for giving us life and, and, and rescuing us from our slavery to sin so that we might actually work to do the good works that you have prepared for us to do, that we would walk in them and that we would work hard and diligently, Lord, for, for your glory, for your good pleasure and for our joy and for our benefit, because it brings your blessing. Help us to be diligent now in the things you've called the church to do, to make disciples, to proclaim your name, to, to preach the gospel, and to be faithful witnesses in a lost and dying world that people might be won into your kingdom, Lord. We ask for you to be glorified in our, our lives this week, and that especially in this area, we, that we would be diligent in the areas we need to be diligent in, Lord, and, and that you would bring to mind any points of application, any, any sin that we need to repent of, any laziness we need to repent of, and that we would be about the business of honoring you and everything. So in your name we pray. Amen.